Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we are enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Today, we are with Goose McGrath, our property portfolio growth partners, and we're going to be talking about the property and business as well as your personal investments. Now, if you want to join the conversation, head over to the Facebook group and join the Full Stack Business Owner community and talk to us there, ask any questions. But before we get started, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Goose, micro introduction time. Tell us a little bit about yourself. A uh, little bit about myself. Uh, so been a business owner since I was 17. A um, few years ago, entered into the real estate uh, sector based on the fact that me and my partner were burnt out in our previous business, tried to buy an investment property, got spooked to, bought the wrong property, wrong place, wrong time, lost a bunch of money and thought, hang on a second, how does this work? And then thought, well, let's try and solve that problem. Fast forward three years, we've built the most uh, advanced property research and acquisition system in the country. We've helped hundreds of people to achieve their goals up to you know way, way, way faster in a fraction of the time than normal property investing. That's business owners and non-business owners. And we've helped people to generate, well, nearly $2 million of cash flow in the last uh, in the last couple of years as well. So that's that is, that's it in a nutshell. Farah, that, you just rolled that off the tongue. <laughs> How much coffee have you had today? <laughs> not much, actually. Not much. No, no. I'm still like just on just on one one big one. So now I will mention, of course, that we do have some previous episodes with uh, Goose on the podcast that go much more into the details of his backstory and that. And I would highly encourage people uh, check them out. We also do need to disclose that uh, Goose and Dashdot are sponsors and partners of the show, mm. as well as they do some investing for both Grant and I. So. Uh, uh, successful investing for Grant and I, I will Very. say. I am absolutely one of those people that's benefited from the work Goose has put in. But we do have you here for a specific topic and uh, some things today, which I think are very timely. So Grant, I'll hand over to you. Where do we want to take this one? Yeah. Now, I'm not going to direct you in any way, shape or form on these, Goose. So I actually don't even know what you're going to be answering across any of these things. So I do have one of the first questions I'm going to ask you is like, what is happening with interest rates? And like, how is it actually going to be impacting our properties, our businesses? Where will rates go next? Just you choose your own adventure like a Goosebumps book. Well, let's play tennis. That's probably a good way of doing it, right? Because there's, there's a lot in there. Like what's happening with interest rates? That's a pretty, that's a pretty big question. All right, let's, so let's, <laughs> I've, got, I've got it. They're going, they're going up. up. Yeah, they, so yeah, okay. Why are they go, so why are they going up, right? So... So, you know, rewind a little bit, um, COVID hit, um, all of the governments kind of, you know, panicked a little bit, uh, panicked, responded appropriately, choose your poison on that one, Uh, pumped heaps of liquidity into the market. That liquidity has either been saved or been spent, but it hasn't been able to keep up with supply chains. Further, we've had further supply chain dis- disruption in, in Ukraine and China. That's that's exacerbated issues with people being able to get access to the goods that they want to spend money on, which is driving up the cost of goods everywhere. That's what we call inflation. Inflation is good to a point. Um, when we have too much inflation, that becomes bad because then people can't afford the things that they normally could and their standard of living goes down and that makes governments uh, unstable because people don't like governments that make their cost of living bad. So then what the government needs to do to keep, keep things in track is they need 
need to increase uh, interest rates, which decreases um, uh, people's um, surplus uh, surplus um, cash, basically makes it harder for them to be able to buy those really expensive goods and services, which decreases demand for those goods and services, which then decreases inflation and gets everything back in normalcy and keeps us on an even keel. So interest rates are going up as a response to inflation. So that's what's happening with interest rates. Um, if the question is, what do I think is going to happen with interest rates? Is that I think they're going to keep going up. Now, I'm going to put a massive caveat on that because a lot of people think interest rates going up, oh my God, this is bad. Oh, bad news. Interest rates going up, which is just nonsense. It's just a thing, right? And so you've also got to understand the context of firstly, why they're going up, right? And what, so, and then kind of that can allow you to deduce how long would they go up for and what's the likely outcome and all of these kind of things. So if you look back over the last, say, 30, 40 years of interest rates, so firstly, we still, even though they are technically not record low interest rates because that was like, you know, a year ago or whatever, they're still obscenely low. They're still like in like, like they're crazy low compared to our historical averages. You know, like if you go back to, if you go back to sort of, you know, two thousand and uh, you know, two thousand and nine kind of area era. We were up at um, where were we? We were at about eleven percent back then, right? So if you go back, if you go back back to that nine nine to eleven percent, even not that long ago, if you go back to the eighties, we were in sort of seventeen percent territory. So we still got ridiculously low interest rates. Now, if you if you also look at what has happened over that period of time, interest rates haven't just had a downward trend. They go down, they go up, they go down, they go up because they're a lever that the RBA can pull in order to control the speed of the economy that's effectively it right now interestingly if you look at how look at what happens when they go up they, they don't stay up for that long they usually only stay up for somewhere between 12 months to two years typically right and so in that context that actually allows you to gain a fresh perspective on what the situation is so okay they're raising interest rates in order to manage inflation cool so when they get a handle on inflation and inflation starts to go down, what are they going to do? Well, that's actually probably going to end up making the, the economy go a little bit bad. And a lot of people are talking about things like stagflation and recession and all that kind of stuff. We can talk about that another time. But there's all this kind of stuff. And so then what happens is they then need to kind of like ease back on the accelerator a little bit, i.e. drop interest rates again to stimulate more growth. And so we'll probably see a return to normalcy. So from the context of what do I think is going to happen, I think there's still a little way to go with interest rates. Do I care? No, like I, I just, I'll be really blunt about it. I don't care. Like, and I think that when people are focusing too much on those kind of metrics, they, it can cause them to make really bad decisions. How interesting. Now, one of the things I've come up against, Goose, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on is I, I've heard many people say, you know, our oh, rates used to be 10% and then some boomer will kick in and talk about when I was 17%, you know, let them have their moment. Some boomer. <laughs> 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 anyway, where I uh, go with this from here is that uh, one of the things that has changed dramatically mm. is the loan sizes. So, yep. uh, for example, uh, those boomers bought houses for a hundred grand, yep. and the interest rate was seventeen percent. That's seventeen thousand dollars a year, and I'm not discounting that was a challenging time or a lot of money. Yeah, but when we look to the average price in Melbourne and Sydney being, let's say, a million dollars now, even yep. with rates at a much lower rate, that uh, 5% or wherever they do get to, we're seeing a very, very different impact here. So how does that argument stack up when it comes to this? Like, is right. there an equivalence when we look at, well, what would that be in today's terms? Yeah, it's great because what you're actually talking about there is actually not not specifically the loan value size, whilst that is true, it's the relationship of the size of the loan value to people's wages. That's the interesting thing, right? 
Correct. And so what's actually happening right now, and this is um, this has happened before as well, this is not new, but Sydney and um, to a similar but slightly lower degree, Melbourne, and to a similar but slightly lower degree, Canberra, have decoupled from the rest of the country, but specifically Sydney is decoupled from the rest of the country, right? Because what actually happens at a certain point in values of properties is they decouple from a from how real estate markets typically work, right? So if you think about real estate, it's a it's a producing asset, kind of like a farm, right? So it, it it's you know it's a real asset and it produces an outcome, but at a certain point over a certain threshold value, property starts to behave much more like like much more like luxury goods. And that's a whole another tangent that we can we can go on there, but it's really it's a really fascinating economic discovery that we've had in-house actually. So what we're actually talking about there is is more expensive properties being more affected by this kind of stuff than lower 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 price properties, right? Because you've got different market segments and as as costs increase, right, it makes it less affordable to be able to enter into more expensive markets and that makes more expensive markets more susceptible to affordability issues and stuff like that. And what tends to happen, like in a situation where interest rates rise, so let me let me just zoom out a little bit. So a lot of people think there's going to be a fire sale for a start, right, in, in property because interest rates have risen and, and this affordability thing that you're talking about, like the actual loan affordability is going to cause people to start to sell properties, right? But you've got to remember that whenever somebody buys a property, there's a... There's a um, a buffer that the the banks put on there when they're assessing your ability to pay back the mortgage, right? Now, even in the more expensive places, we use Sydney because it's the most expensive market in, in Australia. Even in those markets, people are assessed on being able to pay 3% higher than the original interest rate that they signed up with, right? So <clears throat> the fact of the matter is they might have to cancel their gym, they might have to cancel their Netflix, they might have to do a couple of other things, but they're probably still going to be able to keep holding their house because people living in a house don't really want to sell their house, right? So they're going to hang on to it and they're going to cruise through it. The difference, though, is that it changes the distribution of who can enter into that market, and that's what changes the that's what changes the um, demand side of the equation in those kind of markets. So, it is true that some markets have become disproportionately uh, more expensive compared to wages. But that is not absolutely true because there are other markets where the affordability relative to wages is still really, really good. And so therefore, it actually isn't as much of an impact as you might think. Because you've got to remember as well, like in, you know, the, the media at the moment is, or recently, I'm not sure when the episode's coming out, we'll say recently, uh, has been saying, look, the property market's crashing and, you know, we've had a national, national property price decline and all of that kind of stuff. But that is actually specifically because Sydney, Sydney dropped a lot, Melbourne dropped a bit, and Can- Canberra dropped a little bit. But 12 of the 15 major regions, so if you divide Australia up into greater capital cities and then regional areas, so like greater Sydney, rest of New South Wales, that so would be the di- jurisdiction district um, distribution, 12 of the 15 areas in Australia went up in value, right? And only three went down in value, right? So... What that says is that we we don't have one market, and that kind of so that kind of income distribution thing doesn't play out everywhere. It only plays out in some places. Can I interject here? I've got a um, what you're suggesting, and I would love to get a direct answer from you. Is that raising interest rates or rising interest rates can actually become a tailwind for let's say regional areas? An example for Sydney. Yeah. So if it comes up, well, you just answered it then. So the idea being that interest rates, we could be viewing this as a, a really negative thing, but it could very well be the force if we're set up in regional areas in this example. Yeah. 
where it could actually be driving more people to those areas, putting more demand on them and prices may not fall at all, rents may go up. It actually could be the thing that propels your portfolio put forward. I'll clarify that a little bit. It's not about regionals versus capitals. It's about affordable versus uh, – it's about like it's an affordability spectrum, right? So – and we can kind of dig into this a little bit um, deeper potentially in, in another episode. But basically whenever there's – uh, economic uncertainty, right, which happens periodically. Whenever there's economic uncertainty, people tend to have a flight towards affordability. So when things are going good and everything's booming, people want the bigger house and the bigger car and the boat and all of that kind of stuff. And when things are a little less certain, they tend to go, well, let's make sure that we've got, you know, we're not overextending ourselves. And so they, they d- we tend to see downward pressure. And so in a case where interest rates are going up, yeah, you see downward pressure. Now, downward pressure onto affordability plays out in a couple of different ways. It's not just like, well, regional areas are cheaper, so everyone's just going to go live there, right? Because they still have to have economic opportunity. So what is going to drive regional markets is still going to be driven by, you know, really solid fundamentals. What is what is the lifestyle, the jobs, and the affordability? The affordability is just one leg on a three-legged stool that makes a location perform well effectively, right? So it doesn't just mean that, oh, well, Sydney's expensive, so everyone's just going to move to the country. They've still got to have a reason to move there. Even if they can work uh, remotely on Zoom and do all of that kind of stuff, they still have to want to move to a location where they're going to in- enjoy being, right? So there's still some markets going to perform well and some, some aren't. The other, but the other way that that plays out too, just, just to be completely like really clear on this, is affordability within cities as well. And so what's happened over the last couple of years is the the gap in price, the gap between the median price of uh, houses and median prices of apartments has widened, right? So house prices have been going up way, way faster than than apartments, and so in some areas, urban areas, there is more uh, sales volumes are increasing for apartments because of the affordability play, right? So there's kind of two pieces here. It's more about like where people go on the affordability spectrum rather than necessarily where people go on a geographic spectrum. That being said. Regions are going to be performing well. Uh, are, are performing way better than than capital cities in most in most cases, purely because there's way more of the country is technically regional than capital city anyway. So yeah. there's more vo- there's more opportunity there, um, and I, I see that playing out for a good few years. Yeah. So for Australian business owners who are listening to this, mm. right? Like, there's a lot sort of that you're saying of going great. Well, interest rates are going to go up, and mm. hey, if you're in Melbourne, Sydney, and you own your own property. Well, happy days, but if you're trying to get in, maybe sort of look at it. How for Australian like business owners who are trying to create wealth in their business, but also personally as investments, yeah. like how do they play that? Like, how is it going to actually affect it for them, and how do they approach this situation? It's a great question, right? Because you know, business is more affected by interest rate rises than property, right? So, and we can really we can. We can really dig into into this. I'm really passionate about this whole. I've got a lot of research around this whole interest rate affecting property kind of side of things. But the fact of the matter is that interest rates do affect businesses more than they affect property. That's why when interest rates go up, the stock market goes down. Why? Because costs, you know, costs in business increase, margins decrease, you know, and uh, and the real value of any asset is based on its um, current or perceived future cash flows. Mm. Really, at the end of the day, that's 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 really it's where been value. really noticeable for me as well. I will say that it's like. I have, and I've mentioned it a few times on the show already. The amount of business owners I've met that it's actually reshaped what they're doing. Like they've stopped expanding their businesses, they've stopped hiring. They are really like pulled to to use the analogy you used before, Goose. Like they've taken their foot off the accelerator. 
Yeah. Well, it's hard to have the brake on, but they're definitely slowing down. And the, the interesting point is that they actually start thinking it's like that pandemic again. Like the mm. knee-jerk reactions that I'm seeing for business owners is almost like, oh, this is like another lockdown version or like no one's going to be outdoors anymore. Like this is this is like the reactions that people are seeing in their business. Yeah. And I think, again, that comes down to perspective and context as well, right? So because cost of capital is still ridiculously low. Like, you know, the 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 – the cost of cash out in the marketplace, which is kind of what derives a lot of the, you know, perceived value of business and all of that kind of stuff, is, is still really, really low. Like it is still really, really low. So it depends on can what I, the capital structure is in the business. Go on, Charlie. Can I, I want to ask you this one from, because you are a business owner as well. Am, right? yeah. One of the reasons I love having you on here is because you have that business owner perspective and then also you're in property specifically. Mm. From uh, Dashdot's perspective, have you guys noticed any change to inflow to people wanting to buy property or get involved in property? And has it shaped any of your own view on like, hey, I'm going to slow down because of this interest rate rise? Um, I'm going to answer it in two. I'm going to answer that in two parts. So, have we seen a slowdown in people who want to buy property? Not really. I mean, there's been a little bit um, this year, but it's been pretty episodic, right? And I think that that is largely driven by. Uh, media hype, right? So we saw when uh, the war in Ukraine uh, kicked off, there was a bit of turbulence. Election, a little bit of turbulence. Um, when the interest rates first uh, started rising, bit a bit of turbulence, right? But these kind of periods typically only last about two weeks because everyone's got doom fatigue. Everyone's just like they they get they get a bit of like, oh my god, is everything going to crash? Oh wait, hang on a second, they've been saying that for ages, and nothing's been going on. <laughs> that, right that's now, so. me. You've literally just described yeah. me. I'm I'm just waiting for the next series of bad. Like, news. Come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pay attention though, because it only lasts two weeks. Pay attention to your se- no, no. I've been watching it really closely, right? It only lasts two weeks. Just watch it next time you hear the bad news thing, whatever it is, because there'll be another one, right? Next week, right? Watch it. People will only be thinking about it, talking about it, and caring about it for fourteen days, and I think that that's getting shorter, right? And so, what that's meant for us is that it hasn't really, it hasn't really changed for us. And the good thing, and the good thing about what we do is that it is really resilient in terms of a strategy like the thesis is built around how do we how do we invest have all weather investments that work in kind of any market in any condition so what what we do is uniquely positioned to to support people to invest in this environment and i think that that's i think that that has that's carrying through so for us from a business um we haven't really seen a, a massive slowdown what i would say though uh, and this is kind of because the other question is kind of like how am i viewing moving forward as well I could see a year ago that labor markets were going to tighten up massively and I could see a year ago that there was going to be some indigestion in the market to some degree. You don't pump you don't pump that many billions of dollars into if you ever had a massive meal where you've just overeaten and then you've gotten a little bit sick afterwards, right? Right? So it's you know I kind of expected that we were going to have some kind of indigestion, but who knows what it was. And I kind of expected that at some point it was going to be really hard to build a team as well. So one of the biggest problems business owners face at the moment and one of the biggest things that's actually restricting their ability to grow is um, access to really good people. So we focused really heavily on how do we scale up our team and how do we build an amazing team. So we've actually kind of got the team we need now to take us to the next level through this phase, which is awesome, right? Which is awesome because when I think about what, you know, where we're going over the next 12 months, um, it's still big and none of those plans have changed, Mm. right? And so we're still going to be growing. We're still uh, uh, roughly – I have downgraded our our targets a little bit um, but not significantly. Um, 
and that's probably more of an affect of as you get closer to what you perceive targets are, you get to see them more clearly and to decide whether they're still realistic or not. So it's probably like a readjustment of um, perspective as opposed to a uh, readjustment of the market. Do I think that there's potential uh, economic uncertainty? Uh, yeah, for sure. And what does that affect? Consumer confidence. Cool, right? So there's, I'm not blind to it and I'm not kind of just waiting in there going, yeah, it doesn't matter like because it still does. But at the same time, I think that there are ways that people can – um, proactively position themselves to to benefit in this market, and the thing is, the thing is around this as well. It's like when you know, it is in these moments where business owners get to choose what their next ten years is going to look like, right? And that, any that's any, actually any a really, yeah, it's a really you know, interesting point to that because I actually want you to continue riffing off it because like I was looking at the statistics, like if you got into business over the last ten years, interest rates were just going down. Like that's all yeah. you know is interest rates going down. And so you people are stepping into an environment that they might not necessarily have played in before yeah. or they might have only been in business for a couple of years where they didn't have sort of this view of interest rates and the impact, et cetera. And so for your view, like fast forwarding that thought over, and you, this is exactly what I jumped in, you were talking about over the next 10 years, like yeah. where's the interest rate going to go in short term and what does that mean for sort of business owners? Like, so you said it's going to go up. Right, yeah, so yeah. where to from here? Because it's an environment they really haven't sort of played in before. So, look, a couple, of, a couple of things, right? We keep talking about interest rates, but you've also got to really think about what does that actually mean for business owners? Because most business owners, right, are most small to medium business owners are largely driven by their sales and their revenue and their cash at bank. Like, not they're not usually massively leveraged, right? Usually, right? So mostly actually what's affecting business owners right, right now is is the perception of entering into an uncertain environment and potentially the cost of real inflation, right? That's my, my, my opinion only, right? But the actual interest rate is probably not the biggest, they're probably not the biggest affect on them, right? It's But at, to your point, it's like, oh, hang on a second. Interest rates have only been going down over the last, say, 10 years. They're going up now. I, now I've just entered into it. I'm playing a game that I just don't know what the rules are. So it's not actually the effect of the actual interest rate. It is the perceived, um, it's the perception of entering into an environment on which they are uncertain, right? And that's 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 what's causing people to put take their foot off the accelerator, not put their foot on the brake. They're going, uh, not sure, so I'm just going to slow down a little bit and survey the landscape, which is totally fine and totally cool. So you, no one's got a crystal ball, uh, Grant. You're asking me to say what are interest rates going to do for the next ten years? No one's got a crystal ball, right? I do like yes, we, want, we want you to ask it though, because this is the only way we yeah, can get people no, no, to click I'll on the absolutely episode. Absolutely answer. I'll absolutely answer it, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the, here is the thing, right? The RBA has no idea. No economist has any idea, and no banks have any idea. So all of these people out there saying this is going to happen, and or this is going to happen or this is going to happen, they're all just having a punt, right? If you go and listen, they're, they're all just having a punt, right? And and that might sound like, you know, like inflammatory or whatever, but they have no idea, right? They have no idea. I mean, so firstly, uh, I love economics and I have a lot of respect for economists, but I don't think that they, they're not, like they're very rarely ever a, accurate or correct right or you know or it's or or it's not massively relevant for how you should be making business decisions right and what we've what we've seen over the last five ten years is that systematically they all get it wrong anyway so 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 where is it going to go so my observations around where i think that is going to go barring um 
uh, major uh, external events, like for example, let's say we had a war with China, right? That would be a major external event. Don't know, right? Not sure, right? But if all things, all things being equal, based on looking at the economics and or there's other kind of things, inflation, looking at the spot spot price of um, shipping containers and the cost of microprocessors and all of these other kind of things, which I am actually looking at on a regular basis to try and work out what the hell's going on. My viewpoint is that interest rates are probably going to rise. I don't know. Are they going to rise to the end of the year? Maybe just a little bit. I'm not, I'm not really sure, right? But we're going to have elevated interest rates to some degree for probably 18 months, something like that. Um, close, maybe close to two years, but only around that kind of mark. I don't think it's going to be really, very, really long. Um, I just don't. You know, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's quite possible that interest rates will start to drop in 2023, um, maybe towards the end of 2023. I really don't think it's going to be very, very long, and I think that that's. Uh, a really interesting uh, thing for other people to be thinking about as well because I'm not the only one that thinks like that either. Like, go and look at what Ray Dalio is saying. He's saying basically the same thing. You know, there's like loads loads of people out there who are way smarter than me, right, who have formed their own opinions which are correlated with my opinions and the same kind of ideas and it's like, I don't see this as being a, a major thing and I think that because what I think is going to happen is interest rates are going to go up they're going to manage to put the brakes on inflation. They're probably going to put the brakes on a little bit hard, right? Then we're going to have some economic uncertainty. Then they're going to have to drop in, uh, drop interest rates in order in order to to kickstart the economy again. And then we're going to start charging ahead. Now, globe geopolitical stuff in and around that. I mean, that could change everything, right? But that's my that's my view on it. So people shouldn't be making decisions based on what is the interest rate doing today. They should be making decisions based on, particularly in business, in business and in property. They should be making decisions based on you know, the health of their activities. Like, is my business, am I am I making decisions based around um, making sure my business is profitable and serving my clients well? Like, you know, like you should just be, should be making good business decisions, not, not reading the paper and saying, oh, interest rates are going up, therefore I'm not going to, Grow my business, or therefore I'm not going to buy a property. Because even in even in real estate investing, right? It's it is literally the same thing. It's like if um if interest rates are really low and you're you're banking on them being really really low, it's kind of like having a tech stock, right? If you you could go and buy, you know, you could go and buy really expensive, really low yielding real estate which doesn't produce any cash flow, i.e., a really expensive market like Sydney, right? But then guess what happens when interest rates turn, right? That whole kind of construct goes gets haywire because everyone starts panicking because the cost of capital becomes too high. Same thing's happening with tech stocks, like non-profitable tech stocks, right? So the businesses that hold the value and the businesses that are the best businesses to own if you're a shareholder, the businesses that are the best businesses to run if you're a business owner, and the real estate that is the best businesses to own if you're a property investor is uh, businesses and and assets and investments that make money. <laughs> it's that simple, right? Because and it doesn't matter. It, like it, I will say this really clearly. Like I'm not going to mince my words. It does not matter how much debt you have or what the interest rate is if your asset produces more income than it uses. It just doesn't matter. Like and so. People just need to start decoupling their their thinking from the whole interest rate discussion because it's not actually it shouldn't be the driver, you know. And a lot of people say things like if you look at the media and but back to the economist. So I'm on a you've got me jazzed up. Yeah, I was gonna so, say like, wherever this crank on the energizer bunny was, it's, it's, I was gonna say he's here. He's right, a, finally, yeah. welcome. Well, yeah, right, so, we've been trying to get it out of here. <laughs> well, no, I mean, so the, here's the thing. Here's the thing with economists, right? They're great, right? But they have no idea about property, none, zero, right? Because they think if they think about real estate as a financial asset where it's not right and so if th- so you've got all these uh, economists in the media saying things like 
property interest rates are going up and therefore the property market is going to crash, right? So what that makes people think is that interest rates up, property prices down. And that is, I'm just going to say it again really clearly and I'm not going to mince my words, that is nonsense. It is factually incorrect, right? So for example, 88 to 89, interest rates rose from 14% to 17%. So 3% interest rate rise from 14% to 17%. What did house prices do? Went up by 35% over that same period of time. Uh, 1994, interest rates rose by 2%. House prices continue to go up. Um, you know, in in there's loads of examples like this. If we, even if we go a little bit more recent, um, if you go April t- uh, 2001 to December 2003, interest rates went from 6 to 7% and uh, property markets rose. They hit record growth. More growth in many areas than we've even had in the recent boom. Um, uh, December 20, 2003 to July 2008, they went from 6.5% to 9%. Again, growth rates went up, right? It's it's like there is no correlation between rising interest rates and falling house prices. And in fact, over the last, um, between, two, between 1993 and 2022, the only times where growth rates went negative in property markets as a whole, like when the when those 15 major areas, when 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 they dropped and went negative, which is actually real price uh, price decline, was at times when interest rates were declining. Right, so get your head around that. So the only times where property prices went negative was during periods where interest rates were declining. Now, I am not saying that when interest rates go down, prices go down because that is also not true. But this whole kind of like rhetoric that is out there that is saying interest rates go up, prices go down, it's just, it is absolute nonsense and it's factually untrue. Do you not find it interesting? I find this incredibly interesting how we uh, often we simplify something to this untrue point. It's yeah. like the idea that interest rates are the decider on all these other factors, right? It's like, yeah, whatever interest rates are doing sums up the entire Australian economy, property market, business, all the rest of it. And your yeah. point before, I still think this is like uh, if people can take one thing from this episode, the idea that interest rates going up might actually be a good thing for more affordable areas. It might actually be a, a what do you call it, a tailwind, a driving force in affordability, or it's actually a sign the economy is doing really well and prices might go up in your other example here. My, my finding though, and this is something I would love to get your opinion on, Goose, is that for a lot of people, um, they zoom in too close. Mm. So like they're really, really close to what's happening like week to week, day to day, month to month. Mm. And when we hear of things like an interest rate change, it's like, oh, there's like this jerk reaction to yeah. it. When the idea being is like we know like historically and likely going forward, interest rates are going to change. They're going to go up. They're going to go down. Yeah. They're going to go sideways. Like it's going to happen. It's knowing that you're far better to be a little bit more strategic and go, well, if I know this, I'm going to have the appropriate reserves on on hand. Mm. I'm going to buffer my accounts so that if interest rates go up, I'm going to be fine with any loans I have. Or my business. Hey, do you know what? Recessions have happened and will happen again in future. Mm. It's likely. Why don't I make sure I build a good business that can get through those times Mm. or have adequate buffering in as well? So do you think this is a case where people get too close to it and maybe they aren't zooming out and playing a longer game? I absolutely think that. I absolutely think that, right? Because, yeah, I, I... Everyone's, everyone is being too reactionary generally, right? <laughs> I think that's symptomatic of loads of other aspects of our, of our society. And I think that it is good to intake information, but what you need to be careful about is how you respond or react 
to that information because you're right. Like this kind of stuff happens. It's not the first time it's happened. It's not going to be the last time it happens, you know, but then also people need to zoom out and look at the perspective and the context of it. It's like even if even if interest rates went up by a few percent, <gasps> a few percent, it's still going to be ridiculously low compared to historical averages. And guess what? Really massive successful businesses have been grown when interest rates have been way higher. So like, and there's been recessions and there's been all of this kind of stuff. So like, Stop thinking about, you know, these kind of short-term, you know, hurdles because you're not actually going to be making strategic business decisions, right? And just to just kind of looping back to the um to the point about, you know, regions and all of that kind of stuff. What's actually really what's actually really important to work out is like where is the revenue going, right? Because like in any business, to work out to work out how to build a successful business or to make sure that you're going to be able to, you know, continue to generate revenue, be cushioned from these kind of, um, you know, noises in the market or these uh, economic realities or that kind of stuff is to work out where demand is going and then go stand in front of it, right? That's really, that is really the secret, right? You, you've got to go, where are people going? What do they want, right? And how do I then go and stand in front of that demand, right? And so we talk about, um, you know, regions are performing well and are likely to continue performing well for for some time, right? That is that is my belief, but it's also backed up by, by a lot of evidence and, and facts, right? So, but the really interesting thing about this and why why and how this relates back to interest rates, though, is that rents are going up massively, right? So we've got massive rental shortages, and so working out what type of asset to buy, and then thinking about okay, well, what if interest rates do go up? You should also be choosing to buy in locations where rents are rising really, really fast, right? Because that means that that means your income your income is going to keep up with or outpace increased expenses as well, right? So if you can then think about how to do that, that is really good. That is the equivalent in your business of um, charging more for the same offer, right? And making more margin, right? So therefore, if your business costs go up and you charge more for the same product, then you can, then it kind of, it kind of doesn't matter, right? Now that's not about price gouging. That's not about going to your tenants and saying, I'm going to like screw you over. It's not, it's just about, it's just about resetting rents at market value periodically. And that's, that's fair. Like no one's, and I don't think anyone can argue with that, right? So, um, but then that that is a really strategic way to act that will allow you to sleep at night, right? And it's the same thing. It's the same thing that goes in business as well. Yeah, I, I find it. I, I just find it fascinating. the The challenge that everybody has is like, where do you consume your information from? Mm. <laughs> like, I, I always see that that just comes back to it because, to your point, every two weeks, it, everyone's fear like resets itself. There's a new doomsday message, and so it's more like if that's what you're consuming is the here and now, to your point, Charlie, it's, okay, well, how do you extend the view over history and where do you get that information from? And if you're surrounding yourself with information of doomsday and everybody's consuming mm. this sort of mainstream media and all those kind of things, what other perspective do you have, right? And it's not until you actually understand that, okay, well, now I need to have more of an independent thought around, okay, well, what's going on? What has happened over the last 30, 40 years with interest rates? Well, businesses were still making profit. People were still mm. investing. There were things that were still happening in a higher interest rate, in an increasing interest rate environment, et cetera. And I, I just find that that sub sort of layer of people just having that matrix moment of going, oh, no way. <laughs> I was consuming yeah. the wrong stuff. It's a really it's a really good point, right? Because I'm not going to pretend like I know everything. But usually, uh, usually whenever um, something happens that I am uncertain of, I will stop and then do some research. So, for example, when COVID hit, I said, oh, I don't know what this means. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what this means. 
And so for all our clients at the time, I said, guys, we're not going to, we're going to stop every, we just put the whole business on pause for like two weeks. And then I went and did a heap of research and I said, well, what is, okay, let's gather all of the facts. Let's look at history. Let's look at all of these things. Let's gather the facts together and then we can make some some better decisions, more strategic decisions. And so, you know, a simple way of doing that, particularly in the media, regardless of whether they're talking about property or business or whatever, right, they'll usually reference like some kind of report or some kind of research or some kind of thing, right? Don't read the media article. Like go find that original document, yep. right? right? If the media is out there saying, oh, the latest CoreLogic report says that, you know, property prices are all going down, go and get that report, go and buy that report or get it for free or whatever it is, go get that and read that, right? Because, you know, like a recent example of this is, you know, is that that there was a report that said nationally, national average property prices have declined for the first time since September 2020. Okay, cool. Oh, all the property prices are going down. But then the fact... The fact is that most property prices are going up. It was just that it was that three locations were going down, and the market cap. If you if you aggregate the average value across all of the, all of the properties in Australia, that like the market cap had gone down, which is the equivalent, right? Which is the equivalent of if you know Elon Musk spits out a, t- a bad tweet and Tesla shares drop by ten percent in a day. What happens to the Nasdaq? You know, like the Nasdaq <laughs> goes down as well. Oh, okay. Does that mean that every tech company or every company on the Nasdaq is suddenly trash? No. <laughs> it just means that. On average, the value of the index drops, right? Yeah. And the thing about the thing about um, the thing about property and business, right, is that you don't own the market, right? You own you own one little piece in it, right? So if you're investing in shares, you can invest in the ASX 200 index, right, and aggregate across all of the, or you can invest in the Nasdaq 100, or you know, like you can do that kind of stuff, right? But if you own an individual business. You are one business, not all businesses. If you own an individual property, you are it is one property, not all properties. And so what you've got to look at is how does that how does that operating entity sit within the context of its immediate environment? And specifically what decisions can you make around making sure that you've got longevity built into your strategy? Yeah. I I, I love that. And I it's funny, I'm like, I don't want to wrap this episode up because I'm enjoying this riff so much. We've we've got you all rolled up now. Um, but for anyone who is listening, if you ever want to get a hold of Goose or anyone at the Dash Dot team, head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash partners. Head down to Dash Dot, put in your details, and we're more than happy to introduce you to Goose and the team. As you can tell, they've got a whole heap of data to back up a lot of what they're doing. And uh, as Charlie outlined at the start of this episode, yes, essentially where Charlie and I go to build our portfolios. Um, but interestingly enough, we actually have a, an interesting episode coming up with you as well, Goose. For anyone who's listening, be sure to subscribe or even share this with another Australian business owner who's going through a similar thing that you're going through in order for them to get value. But also, if you want to continue the conversation, head over to Facebook and join the Full Stack Business Owner community and ask any questions because Goose is actually in there and he'll be more than happy to help out. I just want to say thank you to yourself, Goose, for jumping on and also thank you to everybody for listening and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner.